We are in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'd like to start with verse 1 because there's just so much great stuff here. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Even as the rest... But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And our verses for today, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with each of us. I pray that, Lord, that you would open the eyes and ears of our understanding so that we might learn from the scripture, so that we might glorify your holy name in all that we say and in all that we do. These things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we have a great salvation in Jesus Christ. And you know why it's such a great salvation? Because number one, we could not save ourselves. We were lost in sin. In fact, verse one here really sums it up. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, okay? Were you sick? Were you only sick? No! You were dead. You know what that means? You could do nothing. Nothing. Your state was hopeless. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. In other words, we thought like everybody else. We lived like everybody else. There was no difference between us and everybody else. We could not save ourselves like everybody else. God intervened on your and my behalf. He reached down 
he chose you and he chose you and he chose you and he chose you and he interacted he he intervened on your behalf verse 8 here says for by grace you have been saved you know what the word grace means the word grace in greek is charis and it means unmerited favor god gave you what you did not deserve okay what did we deserve huh death we deserve not only death but hell okay because here's the bottom line you either need to be perfect or you need a savior okay now if you're perfect raise your hand what what no no takers no. okay then you need a savior Unfortunately, we have one in Jesus Christ. And this is why, folks, he is, he is due all our worship. He is due all our praise. He is due all our thanksgiving. Because you know what? God would be just as righteous if he let you and me go to hell. But he intervened. He reached down. He saved you and me. For by grace you have been saved, and through faith. Okay, he doesn't save us on the basis of something that we did. Okay? He doesn't save us on the basis of, well, you know, I was smart enough. I was good enough. I was whatever. It's all about him. Our salvation is all him. Let's take a look at chapter 1 here real quick, okay? Verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Okay? Did you do that? No, he did that. Okay? It says he predestined us once again in verse 11. It says, And we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Verse 13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, I remember, how many of you remember Johnny Carson? Okay, you know, Johnny Carson, 
One of his, one of his acts was the, the amazing Karnak. How many of you, re, you remember that? Okay, dating yourselves, okay. And, and one of the things that he would do was he would, he would get a, a jar and he would put the questions in the jar and they were hermetically sealed. And the, the idea of hermetically sealing these, the, these questions was that they were tamper-proof. No one could get to them. Well, that's what happens when you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, you could take that, 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 that jar and you could shake it up. Yeah, and those things would bounce around in there and they could get... They could get beat up, but you know what? In the end, they were still protected. They were sealed. And you know what? You and I are sealed. We are protected by the Holy Spirit from all of the things that can attack us in this life. And you know, Things just keep coming at you. I was talking with Patrick about that this morning, wasn't I? We were talking about the things that just that just come at you that you don't figure are coming. And sometimes it can be a little scary. But he has you. He's going to protect you. He has sealed you. Verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. See, before you were just dead, you were deaf, you were blind, but he has opened your eyes. To see what is eternal. Not to see what is only temporal. In fact, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 4. Let's go to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. For while we look not to the things that are seen, but at the things which are what? Not seen. For the things which are seen are what? But the things which are not seen are eternal. And folks, this is one of the things that happens when you come to Christ. Yes, you're living in the here and the now. But you know what? You should have a different focus. You should see that which is eternal. Because look, 
if all we have is this life, that's a pretty hopeless state. We have hope in eternity. We have hope in the next life. Because this life, as good as it is, only gets so good. And for a lot of people, it's not good at all. But God, he saves us. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The faith that we have, that comes from God. Look, we are so messed up. We are so confused, so blinded to the truth. We can't get there by ourselves. He has to do it all. You know, there's that old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He does it all. And one of the things he goes on to say about this gift of God, he says, it's not a result of works. Now, you know, a lot of you, or some of you, I don't know, have probably thought, well, Craig, you know, we know it's not about works. Yeah, well, I want to look at some statistics because they're pretty depressing. I was doing some research, and George Barner works with the Arizona, Arizona Christian University, and they have this uh, cultural research center. And in 2020, here's one of the things that he found out. 48% of Americans um, claim to be Christians. And of those, the 65%, 65% uh, of, of those... Um, oh, I'm sorry. 48% of Americans in general hold to some idea of work salvation. This idea that you could get into heaven by being a good person, by doing the right things. And what he also found, what they also found was only 35% of Americans in general disagreed with that idea. Here's something else. Of those who, de- who, who claim to be Christians, okay, only 54% believe that they are going to go to heaven when they die. Yeah. Here's something else. Of those 65% who said that they are Christians, only 33% believe in the gospel. That we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. 20% of these who claim to be Christians believe in universalism. They believe that everybody's going to heaven. 
Well, that's just special. Because there is no scriptural justification for that position. Fifty-two percent hold to this idea of works-oriented salvation. I, I really think that this is one of the reasons why our churches are where they are today. And when you look at the statistics about our churches, it doesn't give you a warm feeling. Let's look at some, uh, something from the Religion News Service in 2021. One of the things that they found was that church planning is slowing down while church closures are growing. So like in 2014, 4,000 churches were opening and only 3,700 were closing. But in 2019, and this was before COVID, by the way, early 2019, what they found was that 3,000 churches were opening, but 4,500 was closing. Here's something else they found. 56% of churches are in decline. 9% have plateaued. They're not declining, but they're not growing. Only 35% are growing. Here's something else interesting. Church attendance. In 1993, 45% of people in the country went to church. You know what the number is now? It's 29%. Okay, how about those who claim to be born again? That's 31% of all Americans. And it's interesting when you look at it in terms of a number of statistics, okay? So those who are 65 or older are 33% of these. Well, uh, 65, uh, 65 or older, 30, 33% of those claim to be born again. Of those 50 to 64, 37% of those claim to be born again. Of those 30 to 49, 31%. But under 30, only 23%. So the younger you get, the fewer people you have who claim to be born again. Here's another interesting statistic, okay? If you look at them in terms of their politics, 51% claim to who are conservative claim to be born again of those who are moderate 27 percent claim to be born again and of those who claim to be liberal only 19 percent you know any way you look at it these numbers folks are not good they show trends where we're failing to pass on our faith. Simply put, 
There is a Greek word for the kind of faith that too many have in the church today. The kind of faith that they have is the word nomizo. It's the kind of faith where basically you just accept what was passed on. I mean, it's part of your culture, it's part of your tradition. You know, your parents taught it to you, so yeah, you sort of believe it. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people have. And here's what they don't do. They don't accept Christ for themselves. They don't believe it themselves. The word that's used in the New Testament is the word pistuo. Pistis is, is that kind of faith. A saving faith. And sadly, too many don't have that kind of faith. And I think that this is one of the things that's reflected in, in, in when you look throughout the, the New Testament. One of the things that you find is it doesn't say that you're going to get a whole lot of saved people. Let's take a look at a few verses. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7. Let's take a look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few there are who find it. Many go in through this broad gate, okay? And it doesn't matter what religion you want to believe it is, that's part of the broad gate. The way that leads to salvation, it's a narrow gate. Here's something about that narrow gate. You can't, well, number one, you don't get group rates. It's individual per individual. It's like going through a turnstile. You don't get to bring your baggage along with you. Here's something else. He says, about this way. He says, the gate is narrow. And the road, it's not a comfortable road. And here's the last thing. Few there are who find it. Are you walking that narrow road? You know, 
You know if you're on that narrow road. I don't know if you're on that narrow road. It's not for everybody. Let's, in one sense it is. It's open to all, but only few are looking for it. Only few find it. Only few chose to go through it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Let's look at verse 14. Well, let's start with verse 11. Oh, let's start with verse 1. There's just, there's, <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> Jesus spoke to them again in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they are unwilling to come. And again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and sent their, set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highway, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was, who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into utter darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. See, like I've said before, I can fool you, and you can fool me, but we can't fool him. Let's take a look at um, Luke chapter 13. Let's go to verse 22. And he was passing through, through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are going to be saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, 
For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you'll begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. Then you'll begin to say, we ain't drinking your presence. You taught in our streets. And he will say, uh, and he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all of you evildoers. And in that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. So what's happening is there... Jesus and his disciples are going from place to place, and they're preaching the gospel, but only a few are actually following him. Now, you know, there are times when he had crowds, but they didn't last. And so his disciples said, well, well Lord, are, are there only a few who are going to be saved? And he says, strive to enter in. The word for strive is the Greek word agonizumai. We get our word agony from it. It carries the idea of two guys who are wrestling. By the way, you know, um, I wrestled when I was in high school. And I'll have you know that the name Craig Mitchell struck fear into the hearts of no one in the state of California. But it carries the idea of two guys who are wrestling with each other. And let me tell you, wrestling is hard work. You're looking for every way that you can get an advantage. You're using every muscle. You're using every bit of strength. And that's the idea. Look, we're not saved by our works. See, once you get the gift, that's when Satan comes after you. Once you get the gift, that's when the fight gets on. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Let's go to verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons, and was there together and said, Brethren, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Here's the thing I want you to see. How many people were gathered together? 
120 people. Jesus at one point fed 5,000. 5,000 people were following him. Where were they now? They were gone. They did not have a saving faith. Let's go to Romans. Chapter 9. Let's go to verse 27. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. Once again, this idea of many called, few chosen. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's start with verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are of good courage, and I say rather, I say prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we have also as our ambition whether at home or present, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deed in, in, deeds in the body, according to, whether, to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Folks, you and I, we don't know how long we've got. But we have enough time to get real with him today. Do you know him today? Because the time of judgment is coming. I mean, you can walk outside today and get run over. You can trip down a flight of stairs. You got COVID. You got all kind of things. Do you know him today? 
Let's take a look at one more. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Let's go to verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, folks, if you believe for even a moment that you can be saved by your works, that's where you're headed. If you believe that you can be saved by your goodness, your specialness, your whatever, that's where you are headed. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. What are these good works? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. Let's go to verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
Here are the works that he tells us to do. Number one, he tells us to go, or literally, as you are going. You know, some people are called to be missionaries. Some people are called to, to get up and go to some other part of the world and give people the gospel. But for most of us, it's as we are going, as we are living our lives. You know, a lot of people are engineers and technicians and teachers and whatever. And as you are doing those things, here are some of the things you need to be doing. Making disciples, okay? Not making converts. You know, a convert, okay, you've changed a person's mind on something. A disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a believing learner. It's not enough just to believe. If you believe and you're content to stay where you are with what you know, there's a problem about your spiritual condition. If you are not striving to learn, well, that's a problem. I think we need to be honest with ourselves about it. And here's one of the things that comes with that. Do you love what the Lord loves? Do you hate what the Lord hates? Are you trying to please him? So we are to go, we are to make disciples. And baptism is part of that. Baptism doesn't save you, but it is a sign of your spiritual condition. So folks, are we learning believers? Are we striving to please him? Are we on that narrow road? Or are we kidding ourselves? Look, folks, hell is real. It's hot, it's dark, and it's eternal. And I don't want to see any of us go there. Because once you get in, there's no getting out. Now, if you do believe in Jesus Christ, if you are living in accordance with faith, let's remember to seek him every day. Let's strive every day. Let's try to be the people that he would have us be every day. But if you do not know him today, now 
is the time of salvation. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to get real. Amen.